Hello and welcome. My name is Danny Carlson. I'm NAESP's Assistant Executive Director for Policy and Advocacy. On today's podcast, we're going to be talking about community schools. In a minute, we'll talk a little bit more about what that model is and what it means and what it looks like. But first, let me introduce our all-star lineup. We, we have with us Mary Kingston Roach, who's the Director of Public Policy for Community Schools. We have Samuel Rather. He's the principal at Kelvin M. Rodwell Elementary School in Baltimore. And we have Gwendolyn Unoko, who's the coordinator uh, at Kelvin Rodwell Elementary School, uh, also in Baltimore. And so welcome, everybody. Hello. Thank you. Great to be on. Good, good. Very well, excited for this opportunity. Yeah, yeah, we are too. Uh, I've been looking forward to, to uh, having you all on and, and sharing um, a little bit more about community schools and, and certainly uh, we're going to cover a lot of ground, uh, just um, sort of sort of big picture what, what this model is and, and sort of how it works. Um, and we're going it's, to, it's great that we have both a, a principal and, and a coordinator um, at a school that has this model so we can talk specifics, which is always very helpful. Um, and then we're going to, yeah, share, um, share a little bit more about for principals that might be listening, uh, what, um, what it would take uh, for them to kind of move to, to, to this model or at least a, um, adapt certain pieces of this model uh, in their own school. But um, let's, uh, let's jump in. Uh, Mary, why don't you, you share for folks um, a little bit more just sort of the basics. When, when you refer to community schools, uh, what exactly does that mean? Sure. So, and hi, everyone. Um, and uh, I actually, before coming to Coalition for Community Schools, used to do policy and advocacy work for, for NASFP, your sister organization. So, um, really appreciate all the work that you as principals do and hope that you find this strategy really compelling as you think about how to support all your students for success. Um, so, I think the most important thing to start out off with for, for everyone to to understand is that community schools is not another program or model. It's really a strategy and a framework that can uh, mobilize all of your current assets in, in your school, as well as bring additional assets to your school to help all students succeed. So with that said that it's a strategy and not a program, it's not something that uh, you just need to layer on to your school and add as you would an after school program, but it's really a different way of thinking ha about how to do school. And if, if done right, then it actually eases your role and invites in more people to, to support you and to support your students and, and staff and community. And so when we peel back the layer of what is a community school, it's helpful to talk about what are those key elements. Um, so I, I would reference um, a, a recent publication that is really helpful for you to dig in more, which is called the Community Schools Playbook. And if you search for that online, you'll find it, and we can connect you to it. Um, it outlines four main components of community schools. The first and most important is collaborative leadership. And um, I'm sure as principals, you talk about this concept. In a community school, it's really sharing ownership and sharing leadership so that, in concrete terms, your school leadership team uh, includes not just you and your, and your teachers, but also a couple key community partners in your school, as well as um, parents and the community school coordinator, which I'll uh, talk about in a second, and, and Gwendolyn and Yvonne to share more um, in her role there. Um, so collaborative leadership is the first and crucial foundational element that is exercised through the, the expansion uh, of your school leadership team to allow for more voices and, and insight and input. 
Um, the second component is integrated student support. And this speaks to um, tr trying to address any barrier that students may have to success, whether it's health or social or emotional, um, making sure that you not only have the school-based staff in place, but also uh, community partners to supplement and enhance uh, capacity uh, for this need. The third is expanded learning time and opportunities. So in a community school, school is happening 24-7 ideally. Um, you have after-school programs, you have summer school, um, students are going to internships and apprenticeships um, at different times during, um, during the school year. And community partners are invited in to be um, co-creators of, of curricula and projects so that students really understand um, what projects and work looks like in the community. And the fourth is increased family and community engagement. It, this also looks different in a community school where uh, families and parents are really um, treated as partners and help in decision making both on the school leadership team and in other ways and are not just uh, um, engaged for their student success but are asked, you know, what kind of enrichment or supports do you need or want? And those are provided after school and through different times as well. And so it really develops not only your students but your families and community and our best places, we see that community schools serve as a catalyst for the community that students are not only succeeding, but families become stronger and the community is more united. Um, and so that's the, the vision of a really well-functioning community school. A couple more things to know about community schools in terms of the scope and the history. Um, so this idea goes back over 100 years ago to schools being the centers of community with the, the theory by uh, John Dewey around that, and then Jane Addams with settlement houses, it's really the sense that whatever someone m may need or want is offered in the school so that, that students are really set up for success. To that end, it really is an equity strategy to say, we recognize that schools, especially in the 21st century, cannot do it alone and need to partner with community resources. And in fact, it's smart and more effective and efficient to partner. Um, so with the role of a coordinator, we've seen that for every dollar you invest in a coordinator salary, we've, we've done studies that show you get at least $3 back in return through community partnerships and in-kind support. Um, and so it really more than pays for itself. And there's also strong evidence for community schools. Um, the Learning Policy Institute did a, did a study last year of um, 140 studies and reviewed and, and concluded that community schools meet the evidence-based criteria for ESSA and recommended it as a school improvement strategy. And so we really encourage you to, to look at community schools as a school improvement strategy that can take your, your school to that next level. Hmm. That's great. That's, that, that's really, really helpful, the, the kind of 101 <laughs> of community schools. Uh, I'm going to ask you a quick uh, follow-up question, Mary, before I, I jump to Gwendolyn and, and Sam, uh, Samuel to hear a little bit more about what it looks like. Um, in their school, but um, you you mentioned a little bit at the end there, but just want to follow up. What what is the if someone kind of asks you um, this strategy, not not program as you mentioned, but what what issue, what challenge, or what challenge that schools face does community schools help address? Like, what is the issue that that folks can think about this as a as a as a strategy? That's a great question, and. Uh, kind of a tongue-in-cheek response is that the way community schools are designed, they are designed to be able to effectively respond to any issue you may have. So um, whether it's 
um, needing more mental health services for students or family stability, like students' um, families being evicted. Um, a quick example from Baltimore as well is a, a national wordy school, Wolf Street Academy, um, which 10 plus years ago was ranked 77th in terms of academic performance in the district. And with um, fidelity of implementing the community school strategy, became the second highest performing elementary school in less than 10 years. And what was driving a lot of the, the issue was, um, was uh, student mobility. And that was happening for a number of reasons, one of which was evictions. And so the community school strategy with, with the support of a coordinator who was able to mobilize school community partnerships, they were able to, to stem that issue of um, instability and keep families in that, in that zone, keep students enrolled, which largely contributed to the higher performance. That's one example. Mm. Uh, we have federal legislation introduced last Congress uh, that promotes community schools as a response to the opioid crisis. Mm. So I think the point is with this infrastructure, with a coordinator in place to really broker those partnerships and help facilitate that, you can, you can tackle any issue. Um, and I would say that specifically under ESSA, something that all schools have to pay attention to now and report out um, and really have deeper discussions about is around chronic absenteeism. And I think that's a great indicator to think about the power of community schools, because when you're looking at chronic absenteeism data, it's very complex and there could be any number of reasons why any particular student is chronically absent. Community schools provide that infrastructure with a coordinator and that shared leadership to have those deeper conversations and then to actually have the partnerships where you can take action and address those needs instead of feeling like the school doesn't have those resources and, and has nowhere to turn. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's super helpful. Um, thanks. I, and, and, and that makes a lot of sense. Like it's the kind of foundation um, sort of setup of a model that is, um, is there that to in, in terms of kind of responding to kind of a, a, a tailor a, a, an ability to tailor it to whatever the needs of of, of, of your particular school is um no, that's a really helpful frame um okay so let's talk about what this actually looks like in in practice so samuel you are the principal at kelvin rodwell elementary middle school uh can you just give yeah. folks just a, a little a, a quick background of where, where you are and just tell us a little bit about your school. All right, so <clears throat> we are in Baltimore City. Uh, we have approximately 720 uh, students. Um, we, last year we were elementary school, but this year um, we changed to a pre-K through eight. So we're in a swing space. We're currently um, getting a brand new building. So we will be moving into that building uh, next school year. We That's are exciting. Title one. Yes, I'm very excited. <laughs> we are a title. One, we're also a title one school. Okay. That's helpful. So, um, yeah. So give us a little bit of, um, sort of background of, um, how, I guess how it came to be that you're a community school and, and, and maybe just a little bit more about sort of what it looks like. Yeah. Go ahead. So I'm, I'm going to start. So I became the principal of Calvin Rawell Elementary School five years ago and was already a community school. So I'll let Ms. Shinoko answer the end of this question, but I want to say that 
one of the one of the reasons why I really wanted Calvin Rodwell to be the principal of this school is because it was a community school. I knew the wealth of resources that came with a community partnership. Um, Child First is a great partner, and they uh, constantly support the whole academic program. Uh, so I'll let Ms. Shinoko talk about uh, Child for uh, us being a community school. Hi, good afternoon. This is actually Calvin Rodwell's seventh year being a community school, and I've had the privilege of being the community school coordinator for these seven years. Um, the way that our model actually works, first of all, the principal, if you don't have the principal's buy-in or the principal's support, it can never be successful. And we've had the privilege of the prior principal and Mr. Rathers of complete support. The way the structure actually works is the there's a CBO, a community-based organization, that actually hires a community school uh, coordinator so that person not, is not, in Baltimore at least, is not employed by the district. Um, the person is um, on site 20, I mean, every day. They have a designated space within their school, and every community school in Baltimore City also has an after-school program. Um, the way that the model looks just quickly is there are the six strategies that it aligns with the priorities of the school, community development, college and career, uh, enhanced academics and enrichment, family engagement, youth development, health and um, social support, and then there are opportunities for summer activities and there's a, a after school program as well. And all of that is complemented by partnerships that allow for food access, um, opportunities for families and family engagement. Okay, that's great. Um, so let us, you're the coordinator at the school. And so that is kind of at the heart of the community school model is that there is, uh, there's a dedicated staff person in the building um, who, is, who is dedicated to think about kind of all of these, these different areas that you mentioned. Um, give us a little kind of flavor of what, what does that actually, what does that mean? I mean, what are you, what kind of meetings are you having? Who are you talking to? What are you doing um, to serve kids um, sort of in your role? Okay. Well, based on whatever the school's priorities are, um, the partnerships that we have, they align and complement um, those priorities. Let me give you a couple examples. As supporting academic support, um, Actually, I work for the Child First Authority, and the Child First Authority is also in charge of our after-school program. They've been our strong partner for at least 22 years, even before it was a community school. And once the priorities are whatever, if it's literacy or math or STEM or STEAM, if that's an academic priority, the after-school program also aligns with those priorities. And right now we have project-based learning that we're using in our after-school program because we didn't want it to be the same exact structure that it's used during the daytime. Sometimes it's family engagement. This last, um, a couple weeks ago, we had a visioning board and goal-setting dinner night with um, parents and with students because we want the connection between parents showing up in our building, being involved, it increases the success of our students. Um, there's youth development, like there's an ambassadors program where students are becoming leaders and we want them to be decision makers. Um, inside of our building, there's still, um, and like now that we've expanded to a middle school, we have three basketball teams. We have, uh, there are sports, there's flag football, there's 
um, track coming up. There's tennis, and we've had the privilege of uh, one of our fourth grade teachers, Mrs. Allen, she led the tennis program, and they were able to go to the U.S. Open in New York, the Queen. Wow. And, um, that there are opportunities that students may not have because this is a Title I school, but they still need those opportunities to complement their academics, and they should have these enriched opportunities. And with our partnerships, we're able to do that. Mm -hmm. So one real uh, funny story. Uh, when I first became the principal of Calvin Rodwell, Ms. Shinoko's office was pretty far from mine. And I just realized that how valuable to have, how valuable it was to have a school community coordinator in the building. A lot of the times I would go to her for support. So if a student was having issues with attendance and I talked to the parent, we might find out that something else was going on. So I would walk upstairs to go to Ms. Shinoko's office so that parent could get that wraparound support. So eventually, I think the next year, she moved a little bit closer to my office. And for the past three years, Ms. Shinoko's office is right beside mine. Because without the community support and all the resources that she had, it's very hard to do my job. So some of the things I can control and support, but when it comes to supporting family, supporting the whole child, I can instantly walk across, well, walk right next door and get that support that I need. Um, huh. So just because students come to us with so many different things, um, it just gives us a whole wealth of resources to support the entire family. Mm -hmm. So how do you, I mean, how do you, uh, Samuel, just in, in sort of thinking about your, your school, you've got a, obviously your team of staff and you've got Gwendolyn in, in this role. Um, I guess like, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of trying to think about what it looks like at your school versus someone who doesn't have this coordinator. Um, and I, and I know principals, you know, often are, you know, that there's issues with parents and dealing with families and all of that. How does that work just even in terms of, cause you Gwendolyn mentioned the kind of parent family engagement part. I mean, is there a kind of a defined, um, sort of roles that, that those sorts of things would, would fall more for you? Is, is it a team approach? Like, how do you, how do you kind of handle things like that? Yes, it's definitely a team approach. Ms. Shinoko is a part of our instructional leadership team. So we have, you know, representation from pretty much each grade man on that team, but she also brings that uh, different level of resource. So if we are talking about, um, for example, like I said before, attendance, if we're focusing on a school-wide issue, she can reach out to some um, particular partners to support that. So um, as a principal, I often come up with crazy ideas. I just, they, I get excited and I come with a crazy idea and I'll, go to Ms. Shinoko's office, I'm like, look, we need this. So another example was when we were preparing for PARC, and we noticed that we had um, our, we didn't have enough um, technology at that, at that time. So I was like, you know, we really need to get technology so we can support our students who are high functioning and also low functioning, but we were targeting on, that was one sp specific group that we wanted targeted. Mm -hmm. So Ms. Shinoko, I told them, I was like, we need Chromebooks so students can um, get pulled out of the class and work on Chromebooks. I was like, I just needed to have to reach out to our partners. And then like, I think about two or three weeks later, we had about 10 to 15 Chromebooks delivered to the school, um, community members, partners, parents, like they just came in once we knew the vision. Now, as a, as a principal, I have so many things on my plate. So to be able to pass that off and give it to her and that she can deliver so then turn that supports the students. 
it's just a great balance to have. That's why she's, again, so close. We work, I mean, together in almost every situation in the school. She's a part of the leadership team. Um, she's well-recognized and uh, supports the whole, the whole entire community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, uh, it's, it's interesting because you hear about different schools and different districts really trying to think about this, like, you know, like distributed leadership model. Um, we're recognizing the, the role as principal as an instructional leader and, and it's best for, for teachers and for kids if, if principals can be in, in classrooms and, and supporting teachers yep. and, you know, working on the nuts and bolts of, of lessons and thinking about literacy and, and these, in, in these different things and, and helping um, by, and, and helping that by having a, a team of folks um, that you can sort of turn to, whether those are APs or whether that's um, a, a coordinator uh, who can help you sort of focus on the things that sort of you need to focus on. So um, that's really helpful. So I want to, the, the partnerships and kind of who these community members are, uh, you mentioned that a little bit, but uh, tell us a little bit more about, I guess, some of, some of um, when, when we say community partnerships, what are these, what are some examples of, of those organizations? And then if you could, uh, also, you know, how, how did those relationships develop? How did, how did you create those partnerships? Okay. Um, one of our partners is the Maryland Food Bank and the Weekend Backpack because that addresses food access because um, there are various people in the community. And when we say community, it can be external, like the community in which we're actually embedded, but also the community that we built within our school. And so since we don't have to vet people for them to tell their story, because everyone has a story. Um, some people are helping other family members. Someone knows a neighbor. Someone in their own home might be just low on their food. So that's one of our partners. We're in partnerships with um, Towson University, with the University of Maryland, and the University of Baltimore, because they support academics. With the academics, like there are medical students who come in and meet with our third grade um, our advanced learners, there's a cohort they meet with weekly. We have Towson students that come in and volunteer 35 to 40 hours of volunteerism, and they help in with students, with wow. classes, with small groups. We are in partnership with University of Baltimore. They come and help fifth graders with STEAM. They just come in, they're helping with science projects, they're helping with science, with STEAM and those opportunities. And there are many different looks. It can be college trips. Like our children have gone to Delaware State, to Frostburg, to Howard University. They visited um, the University of Baltimore. They go and actually see what college campuses look like. And then there are college students that are coming in. We have career um, opportunities for professionals to come in and talk about their different careers and how that path is connected to a good foundation. Like the academia, that what you do academically now gives you the foundation to propel off of for middle school and high school, you can't just wait until you see a year and say, oh, I want to do this. There is a progression and there are some things that are strings that are tied. With community development, like we're a 21st century school. We are, um, our school is under construction. We, um, our community has to be connected. Like even one of the growth Park community, they have their monthly, um, monthly community meetings inside of our building. And we want to stay connected with our conversation. We have Bill and Maria on site to support mental health services. We had one person last year, but we saw the need had grown, and now we have one and a half people that's here full time every day to help support our mental health services and behaviors. So as the 
when needs come up, uh, we try to provide opportunities uh, and partner with those who complement. And it's a rich exchange. Like we have a life skills group. We have the Girl Scouts. The kids sold cookies, and they were one of the biggest sellers of all the troops in Baltimore City. It's just many different partnerships to enhance the enrichment of, of school learning and um, being student-centered. And it also aligns with the community school site standards nationally, the work that we're doing here locally in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And now you can see why it's so important that she's so close to me because <laughs> as a principal, like you said earlier, I am an instructional leader. I love teaching. I love being in a classroom. So all those extra resources that come into the building, they are funneled through her. So with the goal to really support the whole child and the whole family. Absolutely. You know, it's it, it's interesting. I was, I was listening to all the things, uh, Gwendolyn, that you were saying about these different partnerships and these different community organizations, whether it's the the food bank or uh, the college kids who are coming in and, and, and kind of um, mentoring and, and sort of all those, you know, I, I, it makes me just think of just kind of capacity building where you and in, in one singular role um, really expand all of these services and um, are sort of a hub for, for kind of, all of these things. And, and you would wonder, um, you know, w- w- without your role, um, that's a lot of work, a lot of, a lot of yep. partnerships and a lot of, um, you know, interfacing with, with, with outside communities. And I, I imagine Samuel, you're, you're sitting over there thinking, you know, that's just, I just don't have that enough hours in the day to, to be able to kind of do all of that. Um, exactly. so actually Mary, can you, um, can you talk about that a little bit just in terms of kind of the investment in, a coordinator and kind of what that look, what that means and kind of, um, you know, for, you know, for this idea of kind of capacity building or expanding, expanding services. Yeah, absolutely. I think Danny, the way you captured it um, is, is great in terms of this one role can bring so much capacity that uh, the principal alone and the school would not have otherwise in a way it almost catalyzes capacity building because the coordinator, just, just the word coordinator means that they're coordinating, they're facilitating, they're not the ones always doing, right? So um, they, through their role, they're able to coordinate and facilitate these partnerships that really helps enhance capacity um, in a way that you couldn't do if you had um, someone working with just two after-school programs and that would mire them down. And so with the community school infrastructure uh, set up this way, the coordinator um, can can manage all these partnerships. And as Gwendolyn mentioned, she's supported in Baltimore um, in their model by a community-based organization. Um, but in other places, it, it can certainly be the district who's, who's the employer um, of the coordinator. And in other places, you see places like uh, nonprofits like United Ways taking the lead, um, or it could be the county health agency. Mm-hmm. So it really depends on the, the local context. Um, and it certainly is a best practice and, and an essential component of a community school to have this coordinating function. And for, for those of you listening who may be in a rural area, um, at the national level, we've come to understand that it's not always realistic to be able to fund a full-time coordinator for just one school, um, given your context. So we say coordinating function to, to say that um, as long as you have a person, a designated person, playing that coordinator role um, with as much time as possible at a particular school. That person could be serving two schools, for example, in a more rural area. Mm. Um, then that that is 
that component is met or that need is met. And as I alluded to earlier, it really does more than pay off for the investment. So there's been there's been studies on you know how much kind of funding through both real funding and in-kind services the coordinator brings back, and it, it does it provide a strong return on investment. And so um, this role is critical. And um, one one key uh, mechanism that the coordinator leads that we haven't touched on on yet is the assets and needs assessment, um, which really anchors a lot of the, it, it drives the, the particular partnerships that a school will, will pursue. So Gwendolyn in her role with all the partnerships she's been mentioning, um, didn't just say yes to everyone or choose these, these partners ad hoc. Um, they, coordinators use the results of an assets and needs assessment as a guide. And of course, this is uh, now reinforced through ESSA that um, if for any district receiving receiving more than 30,000 in Title IV uh, Part A funds, that district needs to do a needs assessment. And so it's being recognized as a best practice. And then for any schools identified for improvement, those schools need to do a needs assessment. And what I think what this, the education field is coming to, to understand as seen through ESSA and that community schools have known for a long time is that each school's context is so different. With um, Gwendolyn and Samuel School, their needs and assets are totally different from a school right down the street just because it's a different um, student body and, and community in many ways. And so it, this takes it, that into account and really um, ramps up the engagement of the community so that the assets and needs assessment doesn't just look at academic data, but mm. what are the other um, so the needs of students as well as their families, in addition to what kinds of enrichment are they looking for? And so um, there, you heard examples of of enrichment where it goes beyond just basic needs um, and that's really what community schools strive to do is to help support and develop um, the entire student and family and, and community body. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I want to, uh, I want to, um, there's something you said, I just want to make sure I, uh, folks clarify. So from the funding perspective, you mentioned kind of district, sometimes outside organizations like United Way and others, but what is the, is there a typical kind of funding mechanism, generally speaking, how is the coordinator role funded? Yeah, uh, so it, it can vary depending on where you are. In, in Baltimore, um, as Gwendolyn mentioned, uh, nonprofits partner with, with schools through that particular model to, um, to help with, with some of the cost of the coordinator and that they're the actual employer. Um, but I'm sure as Gwendolyn would would might agree that um, uh, principal uh, that Samuel is as much you know her employer as Child First Authority, and it really doesn't make a difference when you work in a community school that you're working as a team anyway. Um, and so yes, it depends on uh, when you look at your school district or community, um, which which body, whether that's a school district, a United Way, a nonprofit, has the interest and capacity to play that intermediary role. Um, to be the coordinator employer. There is no one preferred way over another. It really just depends on um, your local context. But whoever is the, the intermediary, the, the key that we haven't talked about yet at the community level is that there really is that cross-sector collaboration exercise at that level as we see at the school level. And so ideally with um, a community school initiative across a district or a county where there's multiple community schools, you have a cross-sector leadership group, uh, including the school district, as well as local agencies um, and higher ed and businesses and nonprofits 
coming together on a regular basis to talk about how they can best align their own assets and policies and resources uh, to support the strategy on the ground. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I got a couple more questions for you all, but I want to, uh, before we, um, before we kind of close out, I, uh, Gwendolyn, maybe um, I think it'd be, it's always good to um, sort of hear, you know, about impact and, and sort of what we kind of talk sometimes high about high up about kind of the model and, and the program, but why don't you tell us about maybe if there's a particular student um, or a family or, or, or um, potentially a group of students that kind of, um, you know, felt, you know, felt the impact of, of the community school model and, and, and their lives were, were improved as a result. Okay. Um, there, there was a question you asked me before. I'm going to just want to say one thing about sure. it. You asked about how these partnerships built. What I want to say is it's through trust and professional relationships. Because once um, it build a relationship with the teacher or um, the work that we do, because Child First Authority is actually funded by the Family League of Baltimore City. And once there, once you know who all the partners are, everyone is reaching for the same goals of helping to impact families and for to reduce barriers that stop students from succeeding. It all aligns. But one story I would like to share is. Um, our principal is recognized as the heart of the oh. school principal because he gets it. He is a senior of the school principal. But the way that one of the reasons that I shared a story there at that evening, there was a family that moved further away from the school. But as a result, but their children attendance was perfect, like 94%. They come every day. They're here all day, and the parents were volunteering. But we saw that the students were coming to school like an hour late and an hour and a half late. So we spoke with the family, and what we found out was is that the father had become unemployed and they weren't able to do the repairs for their transportation. So as a result, they were still coming, but they were taking a bus from a, a long distance away. As a result, once our, my principal and I, we talked about it and we started to brainstorm, like, how can we support this family? He knew someone who was interested in hiring someone. And so he made the call, but the person had to get the job. But once they got the job, they were able to repair their car. They were able to bring the kids to school on time. And it wiped out that problem of tardiness. But once together, we were able to work together collaboratively so that we could support the family. And as a result, it reduced that barrier for that for the students. So they're here every day and they're here on time. So that is just one of many stories where we were able to work together, put our heads together, think about how we can work together and just solve the problem. Oh, that's great. So, I mean, that's a, a that, that with like that, that example of that, that family with that father, I mean, that you, you knew that family and yet they, they trusted you and then they shared that with you. And then you, you all at the school level kind of worked to, to help them out. Um, but that's that that's that that's that's a piece of kind of uh you know parent family engagement too right that that you have those that those relationships and that you're able to sort of step in there right right it's very important and and some of those children i think all of those children were in the after school program so sometimes where those relationships are built are, are not in traditional ways so if parents are you know picking up their children later on when you know the day had slowed down for me as a principal They'll come in and just have a conversation with me. We'll be able to talk when it's um, not so busy during the, the regular school day. So having that after school program allows, you know, parents to really get to know the staff a little bit more under less pressure. So um, it, it just pretty much all works together. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. No, that's, that's a very good point. Uh, Mary, so this is um, a program certainly at the, at the local level. And we talked about sort of um, the role of, of kind of districts um, at times being, being a source of sort of funding this position, but um, higher level, kind of at the federal level, maybe even state level, um, what are some of the issues, uh, policy issues and kind of advocacy that, um, that, that you're looking at that, that, that you push on? Yeah, so well, first, I, I'm privileged to be able to work with you, Danny, <laughs> and um, other Absolutely. of our national partners to advance this collective agenda for, for more support for, for our students and, and principals and everyone who works with kids. And so um, it's great to be able to, to work in a coalition together for this, and our voice is stronger. And as you all know, working at the local level, too, everything is stronger in a coalition. So with that said, um, with the 116th Congress, we we came up with three priorities based on what our local leaders and state leaders and national partners said. The first is really just increased funding for children and youth um, and in education that's titles one, two, and four in particular of ESSA, that is full funding for individuals with disabilities and education act. Um, and that is uh, more uh, reimbursement for Medicaid, um, and so when it comes to some of those big funding buckets for education, those are some of those, um, as well as comprehensive funding for school safety and things like opioid um, prevention and treatment. Um, the second bucket is around advancing whole child policies. There's a bill called the Diploma Act introduced last Congress um, and will be introduced this Congress that provides formula funding for states and districts to create an infrastructure um, and a plan to figure out how to, how to advance a whole child education uh, while recommending community schools as an effective strategy. So we're advancing that. And then the third bucket is around just greater support for the adults who work with, with children and youth. So one of our goals is to, uh, for the federal government to provide more funding uh, for um, adults, high capacity adults to work in high need schools um, to really make that match. And so, um, those are a few of our priorities that we're advancing. Um, of course, ESSA is in full implementation now, and what I'd like to signal you all to is that you already have funds at your district level from the federal level that you can use to allocate towards community schools, one of them being Title I funds. And so Title I can help pay for a coordinator, as can Title IV, particularly the new Title IV-A uh, block grant called the Student Support and Academic Enrichment Grant. It actually references the role of a coordinator in ESSA as an allowable use of funding. So I encourage you to explore the, those funds and talk with your, your district folks about that. Um, and then lastly, I'd like to alert you that a funding opportunity just came out at the federal level for uh, full service community school grants. And that application is open until April 15th. Um, your district would need to apply with a um, community-based organization or a nonprofit partner, and this would provide funding for two or more schools in your district to become community schools. So I encourage you to check that out um, and, and let me know if, if, if we at the coalition can support you at all. Um, it's a five-year grant uh, with about $500,000 of funding per year. Um, so those are a couple opportunities and, and priorities we're looking at. That's great. I can, um, uh, one way or another, either in the 
in the description of, of, of the show page here for the podcast, I can maybe include a link, um, or certainly when we push it out over social media, we, uh, we, we can certainly share that link. Um, but you said Title I and Title Four, so principals who are listening um, in conversations and, and thinking about with your superintendent or your district, um, those are existing pots of funding that um, exist that you potentially could, could, could leverage here for a coordinator role. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Great, great. Um, and, and yes, uh, we, uh, Mary, it's, it's, uh, it's great to work with, with you all. And, um, you know, so often so there's, there's so much overlap on these issues and, and it's the power of, as you mentioned, kind of coalitions and, and numbers and, and um, getting, getting folks sort of rowing in the same direction to push on the same things um, from an advocacy standpoint at the federal level is, is, um, is so powerful and, and really sort of trying to leverage our voices. So I'm happy to be a partner in crime with you. <laughs> um, Great. And I just wanted to mention yeah. again, I, I mentioned the community schools playbook um, and we can make sure to share that as well, but it, it actually has a lot of sample policies from the local to state to federal level, as well as a good overview of community schools in general and those four components I was talking about. So it's considered a great resource that you can uh, use in many different ways. Great, great. Uh, all right, well, let's, um, let's end with a question uh, for Gwendolyn and, and Samuel, who are, um, who are living and, and, and breathing this kind of every day. Um, so I don't know, maybe a, a principal is, is listening to this and you've piqued their interest. They said, huh, got maybe we've done, we do a little bit of this, but we don't necessarily have what is truly kind of considered the community school model. Um, so what advice would you give to a principal who's interested in exploring this model? Um, yeah, what would be your advice? Uh, my advice would be to, like you just said, explore this model and really um, understand all the benefits that come with this model. Um, Calvin Rodwell has been, uh, have constantly made growth throughout the years. Um, since my leadership, along with the help of, of course, my teachers and parents and Ms. Shinoko, you know, the whole community working together to really provide what we need for our students. So my advice would be to go for it. Um, I know that I am a better principal because of it. And, you know, a principal is a lonely job. And uh, to be able to provide our students with everything they deserve, it's really hard to do by yourself or with just what you have. So you have to rely on grants and community partners and CBOs. So um, we're all working to what, together towards the same mission and vision, and which is to really give our children what they need. So I would say, go for it. <laughs> all right. Gwendolyn, did you have any, anything you want to say? Um, I, I wanted to say thank you um, uh, for the this opportunity to share about community school and our principal and for Mary um, inviting us to be a part of this conversation. I do want to say this in closing words that it is important that the principal um, buys in and really understands it because the work that I do as a community school coordinator, it can't be done without the vetting or the support or the respect that comes along with the principal understanding the work, but then the staff follows suit, suit with whatever the principal, how he views you, how he views the work, the staff and others who make this work possible too. And even as an individual, is no I in it. It's together. And as a result, I get to work with teachers and with families and with staff, and we all work together as a collective to reach our goals and the vision of our school. And 
The other thing I just want to say, thanks so much to our partners. And we yeah. have volunteers because many hands make the work light and many wow. things can't be done, you know, just with the staff of the school. We need volunteers who come in and get background checks and go through the training. And then they become a valuable member of our community to help with the work as well. So I just want to thank everyone who does um, the great work and they're, un they're unsung heroes. And thank you, Miss Shinoko, you're a rock star. I love you. <laughs> And thank you for uh, thank you for the work that that you all do every day um, on the ground, working with kids and um, helping helping uh, give them a, a shot and uh, giving them the ed educational opportunities that they deserve. Uh, so thanks and and thanks for to all of you, Mary as well. Thanks for for coming on and, and sharing this. Um, I know I'm. I have to say, over the past few years, the more I've I've learned about this model. Um, and understand how it works and sort of the, the opportunity um, that it presents um, to, to, to help schools function better, uh, to sort of build that capacity and, and ultimately to, to, to help students. Um, the more I've bought in uh, and, and, and the more I've become certainly passionate about it. So, so thank you all for, for coming on and, and you know, telling your story. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. All right. Thanks, everyone. All right, have a great one. Take care.